0: Morning, church. Thankful to be gathering with you on this Lord's Day today. Um, we're going to be in Mark seven, one through twenty-three. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible of you in that. a second, get And if you can, if you're able, will we please stand for the honoring of the reading of God's Word? The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many others which they have received in order to observe, such as a washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of man. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of man. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of his father and mother it is, to, uh, is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever I, uh, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd uh, to, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, "Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man." When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to him, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders.'" adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Travis. I want to thank all you guys uh, for being here. If you're a guest, we're especially uh, grateful that you're here. I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open. If you did not grab a Bible before Travis was reading, there's a black one to the seat back in front of you. And like he mentioned, page 893, 894, we're going to be at. I want to thank uh, Brandon and Addie. I know you were nervous, but that was awesome. So thank you for leading us in worship. And uh, we're glad that you're here today. And I'm, I'm thankful. Uh, that you guys came ready to sing today. That was awesome, but you're going to be thankful in about 10 minutes when I get to that, because you won't feel quite as guilty, all right? And so we're all going to be thankful for that in about 10 minutes. But today uh, is Family Worship Sunday, and in light of that, right, I'm going to explain what that means in a segment. In light of that, I want to tell you about a little tradition that we had in the Parks household growing up, where I don't think my parents ever gave it a title, uh, but I now, when I look back on it, I call them family chats, Right, and was ever something needed to be given a closer look, or a big decision was needed to be made, or let's be honest, I was their child. Whenever there's behavior that needed corrected, right? Just whenever something felt important enough to my parents, is they would, uh, they would, we would all uh, kind of break the rhythm of normal life. We'd all gather in room and sit down together and discuss it. And it was a good practice that they didn't overuse, right? But it was just every now and then we do. It. it centered us again on who we were as a family, where we were going, what we were about, like our core values, stuff like that. And this is something I've tried to implement in my own uh, family, and it's something that we've done here before. And when we do it, I always like doing it on family worship Sundays because right, I like the connection. If you don't know what Family Worship Sunday is, is, is our FBN kids are in here with us today. And so age five on up is joining together with their families, and it's, it's an intentional design. We want families to sit together, to worship together, to practice this rhythm of gathering with the church together and worshiping God. And, and when those come, right, it's nice to break from the normal rhythm and routine of every Sunday, take a breath, and then have a family chat. Now, in addition to that, right, the last two weeks, we have covered the passage that Travis read for you this morning. Mark 7 verses 1 through 23. And, and in that we have covered some fundamental groundbreaking stuff from Jesus. Now Mark of all the four gospels is the most like an autobiography, right? It's, Mark is focused more on what Jesus did and where he went and the acts he performed, the service that he did more than his teachings, right? But the teaching that Mark does include, it makes it quite impactful because it's, it's more spread out in his gospel. And here in Mark 7, we get some teaching from Jesus, and in doing so, what Jesus is doing is he's drawing a line in the sand and differentiating himself from the religion of his people and the religion of his day. And you may not have noticed it when Travis read it, but the passage that Travis just read, what Jesus taught in those verses are the reason that Jesus was both loved and hated. They're the reason that so many flocked to him in his day and so many still do today. They're the reason that he gave his life up on the cross and a lot of people there wanted him killed. They're the reason that we are unapologetically and unashamedly a Jesus church and they're the reason that I've put all my hope and trust in him. And the scene for it all is a confrontation between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees and and these two groups could not be more different. The scribes and Pharisees had come from Jerusalem to observe Jesus. Their posture was cynical and critical and suspicious. They looked entirely at the exteriors, right? What, what, are, what are people putting on display? That's what mattered. And they put all their stock and all their hope in being a descendant of Abraham and in all their traditions and rules. That's what they were banking on. And Jesus is the complete opposite of them. He's gentle. He's humble. He's gracious. He sees beyond the exterior and is most interested in the condition of the heart. He knew how desperately we all needed saving, and he was fully willing to personally pay the price to save us. So, of course, those two worldviews are going to come to a crash course at some point. They're going to come to a collision, and they do right here in Mark 7. And in Mark 7, Jesus starts to lay the groundwork, to lay the foundation for what his kingdom will be, for what his worldview is. He sets the groundwork for his gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. And he does so by by teaching this, that true, acceptable worship of God begins in the heart. That's where it starts. That God's commands carry far more weight than any human tradition or religious law. That exterior defilement is not the concern for Jesus. His concern is that our hearts are sinful from their very core. And so what we need is salvation. What we need is healing. What we need is a recreation at the heart level. And only Jesus can do that. Religion never could. Now, all of us who call FB our church home, right, we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. There's a lot that comes with that claim I want you to know. It's said a lot from the stage that we are unapologetically a Jesus church, which means that we are citizens of the very kingdom he's talking about here. But what that doesn't change is the fact that all of our hearts are prone to wander. That at our core, as we're trying to follow Jesus, we still have a sinful nature that wants us to do anything but. And we've mentioned some pretty major concepts as application points the last two Sundays in our services. Concepts like living our lives as every day as if the gospel is true. Having the gospel shape all that we think and all that we do and all that we say and all that we prioritize and pursue and how we treat others. That's a major concept. And then last week, Pastor Adam talked about this thing called heart checks, right? Inviting the Lord's inspection into your heart and having a rhythm of that in our lives. But there's one thing that I've, that I've learned quite clearly in ministry, and it's this, that you can't ever expect someone to do something that they've never been shown how to you can talk about it all you want, but unless you model it for them and walk it through with them, you can't expect them to do it. And that is why today, for our family chat as a congregation, we're going to do this together. And so if you're a guest here this morning, here's the disclaimer. I'm so thrilled you're here. This is not going to be a normal Sunday. This won't be like every other week, right? Every other week we, we ended in verse 23 last week, we'd pick up in verse 24 this week and we'd unpack that and try to apply it, right? But if you follow along with us, I am confident the Lord can meet you in a powerful way this morning. And let me stay at the start. If you're here and you've never believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, that is the greatest need you have in your life. There's no greater need than that. Because of our sin, we all owe God a tremendous debt that We cannot pay. And if it isn't paid, and I just said we can't pay it, then we will spend an eternity in hell. But God loved us so much that he sent his own son Jesus to suffer in torment and die on a cross to pay that price for us, to pay that debt off for us. And so that if we, the Bible says if we turn, right, we repent means to turn around. If we turn from being our own God and our own solution and believe wholly in Jesus and trust him to save us, we will be saved. We will be forgiven in full and we'll be given life forever in heaven with him. And I really, if you've never done that, I really, that's the only thing I want you thinking on and wrestling with this morning. And I'm, I'm, I want you to give your life to him. But all of you who bear the name Jesus, who call FB and home, or, or even if you don't, right, we're going to ask God to do a heart check on each of us today. And here's what I'd like to say at the start. Let's all commit together right now to fighting the urge to think about others who need to hear this. I don't even entertain the thoughts of, boy, I hope Phil in the blank is listening to this part. This is a hard check for you, and it's a hard check for me, okay? And we're going to look specifically at three things this morning. We're going to look at our purpose, both as the church and as individuals. We're going to look at our gatherings, the thing that we're doing right now, and we're going to look at our view of others, and the Bible is crystal clear in all three. And as we do, we're going to model this after the prayer of David in Psalm 139, which says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So will you join me in praying that now? Father, I'm so grateful for each and every person who's here. And Lord, as we look at our purpose for for existing, our purpose for our life, as we look at the primary purpose of our gathering, as we we look at what you teach us about how to view others, Lord, we, we open ourselves to you now. God, we open, up, we open up our hearts to you. We, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and inspect and, and point out and convict and do what he needs to do to bring to light things that we've snuffed out in the darkness. Lord, we want to be open books to you, and so I pray that, that you will find a posture of receiving from you and then a posture of repentance to you today. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is our purpose, right? And, and like I said, with all three, uh, they, like it, it sounds arrogant to say about a sermon that'll be inarguable at the end, right? But in all three, it's not because of the sermon, the Bible is so crystal clear in each of these that you can't argue them, right? And there are two passages that do a great job of clearly defining our purpose. And, and in both of them are accounts of Jesus giving his followers directions about what their life will be like after he ascends and returns to heaven. And the first is in Acts chapter 1. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the context of that verse is so much more clarifying than we've ever given it credit in the church. Because Jesus gathered his disciples, he's about to sin, and they start asking questions. Like, Lord, is this the time you're gonna, is it you're gonna establish your kingdom? Is this gonna, you know what they're asking? They're asking end times questions, right? And Jesus' response is so helpful. He says, it's not for you to know. Not, that's, not, that's not your job. It's not for you to worry about. Father's got that covered. Here's your job. You're going to receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is right where you're at right now. And then you're going to go to Judea, which is really close nearby, and all those people look like you, and they all believe like you. And then you go to Samaria, and none of those people look like you, and none of them believe like you, and they all hate you. And then you're going to go from there to the ends of the earth. And that's where you're going to take this gospel. Matthew 28, same thing, right? Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I want to talk about primary and secondary purposes this morning, but in doing so, I want to, I want to just warn you, and let's, let's come to an agreement, right? I don't want you to hear the word secondary and think unimportant, because something can be secondary to the most important thing ever and still be pretty important, right? For instance, I'd argue this, right? The very most important thing to you staying alive this morning is you breathing. If you stop that, you're going to die pretty quick, right? You stop breathing, you're going to die quicker than if you stop drinking water. But would anybody argue that drinking water is not important? No, because if you stop drinking water, guess what would happen? you die eventually. Just not as fast as if you stop breathing. But what happens if you flip the secondary and primary purposes? What happens if I drink so much water that I can't breathe? Well, then I drown. Right? And so both are incredibly important, but you can't overemphasize the secondary at the cost of the primary. And I tell you all that to tell you this. The primary purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ the primary purpose of his followers is not the maintenance of our spiritual lives. The primary purpose of FBN and the primary purpose of your life is not your spiritual experience or growth. It's not caring for the sick or hurting. It's not weddings or funerals or services. It's not ministries or buildings or caring for the saints. It's not creating connections for you or forming lifelong friendships for you. All those things are good, all of them are important. None of them are the primary purpose of the church. The primary purpose of the church is missional and multiplicative. To say it easier, the primary purpose of the church is other people. That we are to spread the gospel, we are to share the hope of Jesus Christ, and we are to add to the kingdom of God by him working through us. Yes, baked into it is to then disciple them and develop them who, who add to the kingdom. But the point is not to make their spiritual lives so crazy great. It's so that they too can then go spread and add and multiply. It keeps feeding the primary purpose. And this is why the church began in an upper room in Jerusalem and has spread all over the world, reaching Terre Haute, Indiana, reaching villages in Africa and Central America, meeting in underground caves in Asia and the Middle East today, and we're seeing a birth of gospel resurgence in the wildly secular Europe because the church's primary purpose has always been outer-focused. It has been the knowledge that people are souls and they are bound for hell and they need Jesus and of everyone, his followers has the news that they need to hear. And now it's time for our first heart check. Currently... Can you honestly say that this is the primary purpose of your life? As you look back at recent days and weeks and months, has this actually been your highest mission? I think it's okay if I'm vulnerable with you for a minute. I think I can trust you with it. As I was preparing this message, I asked the Lord to check my heart on each of these things. I didn't like the answer on this one. I've been I've been bouncing a lot lately, a lot of decisions lay in front of me and I've let ministry actually let's put it this way. I've let serving God get in the way of obeying God. And so I spent some time this week asking him to break my heart all over again for those who don't know him, who don't have the hope of eternal life, to reinstate that as my first and primary purpose for living. And I'm wondering if there's anybody listening this morning who needs to have a similar moment with the Lord. Allow him to show you today what it is you've really been living for. And and as we do each of these heart checks, here's, here's some helpful advice. Don't fight whatever he reveals to you. Don't justify it. Don't explain away. Just receive it. It's coming from the Lord. It's truth. Receive it and then repent of it. And ask him to change you and reorient you around your primary purpose. The second thing we want to zoom in on this morning is just our gatherings. It's what we're doing right now. Every single week we gather as a church. And this is a rhythm that has been in place as long as the church of Jesus has existed. And it was actually in place before that. Because there was a weekly gathering in the synagogue uh, by the Jewish people, by God's chosen people. And so it's always been a part of God's design for his people. There's never been a time it wasn't. Did you know it's also a command? Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And here it is not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing man all the way back when the bible was written people were already pulling that off right but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching it's right there in Hebrews 10: not giving up the meeting not giving up meeting together and then i love the the, the little aside as some of you are doing all right that's the author of hebrews laying it on heavy and so clearly it's very important to god He's commanded of his people since the beginning of time. But there's a question that we need to ask in light of that. And it's why. Why does this matter so much to God? Why has every iteration of his people, has this been a a part of the process? What is the point? What is the primary purposes of us gathering this morning? Because without asking that question, we have a way of downshifting to much lesser important purposes. Even those of us who, who, like, see Hebrews 10 as a command, like, I'm going to keep this, and week after week I'm going to gather my church. Sometimes for decades we can treat those times in ways that they were never meant to be treated. In my personal times with the Lord, this, I, I've been going through the book of Psalms lately. I'm hoping uh, to develop a little uh, better prayer rhythm and prayer language, and so I've just been working my way slowly through them, and I want to read to you just a handful of verses I read this week from the book of Psalms. Psalm 64 the righteous one rejoices in the Lord and takes refuge in him. All those who are upright in heart will offer praise to the Lord. Psalm 65, praise is rightfully yours, God in Zion. Psalm 66, let the whole earth shout joyfully to God. Sing about the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God how all inspiring are your works. The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Bless our God, you peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 68. But the righteous are glad. They rejoice before God and celebrate with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. That's four chapters. Do you know how many chapters are in the book of Psalm? 150 chapters. Do you know how many other books in the Bible are there? There's 65 other books in the Bible. That was just Four chapters. It's pretty clear from the scriptures, isn't it? That the primary purpose of our gatherings is to worship, praise, exalt, and glorify God. That's why we're here. The secondary purpose we actually saw in Hebrews 10. The secondary purpose is other people. It's spurring them on to love and good deeds. It's spurring them on to the worship and praise and exaltation of the Lord. It's it's encouraging them. Now here's the hard truth in that clarity. Nowhere in either purpose is it about me. Ever. Now, you want to know the brilliant thing about God's design? When I come and I worship him and I focus on him and I serve others in his name and I do this humbly and selflessly, I leave blessed. But I'll leave that gathering closer to him. I'll leave it him having met me there, spoken to me, drawn me to myself, encouraged me often through other people's or also through his spirit. I leave that blessed. But the flip side of that is incredibly dangerous. If I enter the gathering, the focus is all on me and not him first, another second, then I'm at high risk of not experiencing anything he would have for me that day. I'm at high risk of leaving not closer to the Lord, not connected with the Lord and with him in any meaningful way. I'm at high risk of repeating that over and over and over again, all kinds of time, all kinds of energy, all kinds of effort, and not getting anywhere close to what I could get out of it. And this is where we need to do the heart check. When you come to our weekly gatherings, what is your focus? Do you prepare on Sunday morning and start Saturday night? Or do you guard that? Do you get a good night's rest so that you can come in ready to receive from the Lord? Are, you, are your thoughts centered around how you can best worship God? Is your mind focused on how good he is uh, and all that he's done for you in the gospel? Uh, are, Are you thinking about how incredible it is that you get to be his child forever and then do you walk in with eyes up looking for others to connect with and others to encourage and are you genuinely thrilled that they are here? Are you sitting in your chair this morning looking around this room thinking I'm so excited that all these people are here today? Or if you're honest is it rarely those things? Are you thinking about whether you like the sermon or not? Or the room's too cold or it's too hot. Or somebody took your seat and now i got to sit on this side. I don't like the angle from over here. The music style is not what I'd like. That song's too loud. Actually, that song's too quiet. I wish the lights were on. I wish the lights were off. That guy really shouldn't have said that that way. I wish this was at another time. Why are those kids running? Why is that person raising their hands? Why isn't anybody else raising their hands? This coffee is cold. This hot chocolate's too hot. Their shirt isn't tucked in. That's so, they, they should sing more songs. They should sing less songs. Communion was too slow or somber. Communion was too fast and celebratory. Should I keep going? Or has the point been made? I mean, if those are our thoughts, are often our words, it's a sure sign that we're not gathering for our primary purpose. That the worship service isn't actually about God at all, we have made it about ourselves. And our preferences and our wishes and our desires and our wants are actually what's sitting on the throne. And the tragic part of that is if we keep bringing that focus in our gatherings, we'll keep going to something week after week after week after week and not getting anything remotely resembling the blessing that the Lord could give us from it. And so, hard check time. Why are you here today? Let's make it even more present. Why have you been here to this moment? What are the thoughts you've had while you're here? Are your preferences way too important for you? Can you worship God when things aren't set up just the way that you like? If the music isn't to your liking, can you still worship him? Is he not worthy of that? Have you not come, have you come this morning for the intent purpose of exalting and glorifying and worshiping and praising the Lord? Or have you come with with eyes to see others that you could encourage? most of your thoughts and intents and attitudes isn't just about you invite his inspection ask the Lord to make it clear to you make your attitudes intentions your approach to our gatherings crystal clear and then respond accordingly the last thing we want to look at really feeds into the first two and it's our view of others and if you thought the first two were hard this one's not any easier I promise you well, in this one, the Bible could not be clear on what we're called to do. And actually, it fuels our purpose in our gatherings and we find it in Philippians too. Listen to the language here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know what the next line of that passage says? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That's what comes with it, by the way. If you want to take on the name Christ follower, then you need to strive to walk in his ways. And this is how he lived. He treated others as if they were more important than himself. And nobody's more important than Jesus. He treated me that way when he died for my sins on the cross. And the reason you're going to find this one so incredibly hard is because there's nowhere else that you're going to be pushed to do this. Nowhere. Nowhere. The fact that you have a sinful nature means that with no effort, striving at all, you will make your entire life about you. That's just your MO. That's what you'll do. And then you add to that that we live in a capitalistic society. The only way to make money is to create demand. And so what do you do to a bunch of people who all without effort think that life is about them? You tell them again and again and again that life is all about them. You cater to their every wish, their every desire, every demand, because then you can get money out of them. And standing against all of it, and standing against all of it all alone is this book, the Word of God, that says it's not about you, that the purpose of your life is not about you, the gatherings of the church is not about you, that your career is not about you, your family and marriage isn't even about you. Jesus says those who try to keep their lives, they're going to lose it, but those who give up their lives for me are the ones who will find it. That you are to value others as more important than yourself and look out for their interests and not yours. It's the only voice shouting this out. But it shouts it because people matter. People matter to God. People matter to Jesus so much that he died for them. People matter. If they look different than you, they matter. They matter. If they're a different race than you, they matter. If they're a different gender than you, they matter. If they struggle with a different sin than you struggle with, they matter. If they have a different faith than you, they matter. If they're a different season of life or different age than you, they matter. If they're a different income level or background than you, they matter. If they have a different worldview than you, they matter. And not only do they matter, you are called by the authority of God's word to treat them and view them as more important than yourself. People matter And so the hard check is this, how are you doing on this one? You know, one of the brilliant designs and aspects of of, of God setting up the church is that we actually get a live lab to live this out. We'll never get there without practicing it. And so he gave us a community of people to practice it with. Are you? Have you taken a step beyond a Sunday morning service around here? Have Have you joined a group? Do you still have excuses as to why not? If you join a group, do you you give those times priority to to get to know others and to be able to pray for them and come alongside them, or do you just give it what's left over? How do you react when people fail you? How is it that you react when they let you down? How do you react when people don't meet your expectations? Here's, Here's a good homework challenge for you. I know adults love homework. Here's a challenge for you this week. Have a negative experience, that's the easy part. In seven days you will. Here's the hard part. Have a negative experience and tell absolutely no one about it. Don't tell your wife about it. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't tell your friends about it. Have a negative experience. Let it roll right off your back and move on. And here's why. Because influence is not a renewable resource. You can burn through it. Do you, do you actually look for the best in others? Do you speak encouragement and life and truth and hope to them? Do you use your voice? Do you use your opinions? Do you use your influence for the hearts of other people? Or would you admit to still being very egocentric and self-focused in most of your days? Now, when it, when it comes to a heart check, there's an important step, right? It's not just the process of inviting God's perspective and inspection and that's it. Because you know what that would result in, a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. Because none of us feel good when God reveals sins to us, right? right but that, that's that's not the Lord's intent for any of this, right? And so there needs to be a response to what has been received. And so a good three-step process for heart check is this: ask God to reveal what you need to see. Number two, don't beat yourself up over it. Jesus Christ already paid for that. His grace is just as new to you today as it was yesterday and the moment you first believed. He's already forgiven you for that. So this isn't a process of of guilt and wallowing and shame. It's a process that leads you to number three. Do, absolutely do, repent of it and get in the fight against it. Jesus talks about repentance all the time. You know what that word means? It just means to turn around. It means to go in a different direction than you were going. It's a verb. Repent is a verb. It's an active change in turning away. And so we're going to practice this together this morning. Right? We're not going to sit in shame. We're going to invite the Lord's inspection. We've been doing it all morning. And then we're going to practice repentance because I believe there's something I need to repent of as your shepherd and that we need to repent of as a church. I believe the Lord is calling me to model this for you, to repent of something that I've done, something that I've allowed, that is not for your good, even though you probably thought it was. Right? If the primary purpose of our lives is the mission of the gospel, if the primary purpose of our gatherings is the worship of God, and the primary focus of my life is that others are more important than me, then we have failed you in how we've structured this place. We have given in to a consumeristic mindset and tried to meet demand, and we've settled for patterns and rhythms that that will not aid you in this. We're supposed to help you follow Christ, not be a hindrance to it. For far too long, we have let you separate from each other based on preference and style and comfort. We have intentionally segregated our church based on service style. And the result is that many young people, many young families have little to no connection with the older generation that attends the same church. And it's not because we've permitted that culture, it's because we created it. But I'm committing to you right now. I'm asking the Lord for forgiveness to that, and we will be making changes. There is a day coming in the future in which we will not be a three-service church. And, you, and hear me, you will not have a menu of service styles to choose from. Instead, we will gather, and we will worship the Lord, and we will do so together. Some Sundays will be newer songs, some will be devoted entirely to him. Some will have a band. Some will have an acoustic feel. Some, I might even go Church of Christ style and make it all a cappella. Don't try me. I'll do it, all right? <laughs> but here's what you won't know. You won't know before you come what is being offered that day. And it's because it doesn't matter. Because catering to your preferences is your church failing you because God is worthy of praise regardless. We do not want to be a contemporary church. We do not want to be a traditional church. We want to be a Jesus church. Hard period stop. And I'm so convicted by this and broken over I wanted to start today. But listen, it took us 12 years to establish this culture. And so we're going to give you a long runway in the, with the idea that you can start practicing things to be prepared for when this change comes. So please... Here's what I'm asking of you. Start praying about cross-generational connections here. They're needed. If you don't have any, seek some out yourself now. And to the older folks, I'd like for you to lead the way in that. You follow Jesus longer. You know the importance of Seek out some younger people, right? And then secondly, start practicing this rhythm. When you come to our service, come for God. Come to worship him. Come for others and then leave yourself a distant third. Let your preferences and your opinions and your thoughts all fade away in the glory of the goodness of God to you. And let us all, who, who, let us all walk in step and, and to align ourselves with the primary purpose for our lives and our gatherings and our view of others. Now we're gonna close this time by doing two things, right? We're gonna give you a chance to lay your heart bare before the Lord and invite his inspection just as David did. And in that process, right, we're going to have some music playing softly. Here's what I want you to do. Fight. Fight to suffocate your opinions. Fight to suffocate your feelings and preferences during this time. And instead, just receive what the Lord reveals to you. And then commit to repentance and taking action against what he shows. This is your time with him.